The scripture for today is in John 20, 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Can I say, uh, Christ is risen? Do you know the response? He is risen indeed. We'll try it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's awesome. Beautiful tradition. Thank you, kids. We got a full house. We got a lot of kids. And so welcome to all of you. You know, the resurrection is something that is unbelievable. It's something that children should marvel at. And I think it's something that adults, we should marvel at too. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But the simplicity of what Jesus has done is for anyone and everyone. And here's one, one thing you should take away, especially if you are new to Christianity. You should take away the fact that Christians believe this actually happened. This is real. This is history. We don't believe it's mythology. We don't believe it's wishful thinking. We believe that what took place on that first Easter is something that broke into human history in real time, in real space, with real people. And so if it didn't, let me just simply say, it's a fable, and it's make-believe, and it's wishful thinking, and it may help us in dark moments. But we believe that it's history, and because it's history, it changes things. So welcome to each of you as we go into this real story of Jesus really resurrecting from the dead. There's a lot of places that we could go in the Gospels. We've gone to John and the story with one of his close friends, a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. So I'm excited to be in this text and to see where it takes us. But let me, as we begin, let me say a couple things. Uh, Christians around the globe are celebrating today the death of death in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big deal. All right, this is our great enemy. The death of death, and you may not want to think about it when the stage is filled with flowers and all of you look beautiful, but it's something that each of us is thinking about. And Easter is the celebration of the death of death and the death of a man who was resurrected from the dead. And that man wasn't just a man. He happened to be the Son of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian and if you've been in church, you hear us talk about that story a lot. Maybe it's been your whole life. And Christians come, and it's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 70 years of Easter's talking about the reality of the resurrection. The reality is, I need you to tell me about him. 
I need to tell you about him because we are prone to forget the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done in real time, in real history, in a real place. And so we do it year after year. And at this church, actually, if you're new to Trinity, we do it week after week. We go to the center of Christianity, which is not a principle, it's a person. And we always talk about Jesus. We talk a lot about him here, and we're excited to talk about his resurrection today. But there's a rational side to the resurrection. There's a scientific side to it as well. And this rational scientific side of the Christian narrative may make some of you question the viability of a real resurrection from the dead, which it should. I will not minimize that. You should have a lot of questions about a resurrection. But there are even bigger barriers to belief. The the even bigger barrier to belief, probably for many of you, is the who cares question. All right? The who cares question. We live in a pluralistic society where ideas and beliefs from various schools of thought or philosophy or backgrounds or government or religion, they are all getting equal airtime and playtime. We have a lot of different ideas out there. Christianity is going to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus, his life and his resurrection. But we don't take our cues from religion anymore. We don't take our cues from institutions. The laws are written inside of me. This is what it means to be an individual in 2022 in a city like San Diego. I get to write the rules for what is good, what is beautiful and true. Whatever makes me happy is that which I'm going to lean into. So in other words, some of you may be saying, awesome, Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's good for you. It doesn't really matter to me because it doesn't shape my life. It doesn't change my day. It doesn't make me more happy. It doesn't give me more freedom. So I'm happy for you to believe in a resurrection. But as for me, I'm not as interested. For some, we're not even interested if it's true. We're only interested if it makes me feel a certain way, which is good and free and happy. Resurrection for some, money, popularity, fame for others. Whatever's going to make you happy, go for it. As we begin, let me offer these words of encouragement and challenge. I believe the resurrection is worth revisiting, number one, if you're someone who is bored with other offers of meaning and contentment. If you are bored searching for something to give your life meaning. If you're someone who is suffering from chronic indifference because nothing has been able to enliven your mind and your heart, the resurrection is worth thinking about. Number two, if you are someone who carries fears about being strong enough to face up to all of the other fears that you're carrying, then you should consider revisiting the hope of the resurrection if you carry fears and then you worry about those fears. Number three, if you're someone who values truth as opposed to what only feels good, wouldn't you love for somebody to tell you the truth? We live in a moment where we want people to tell us what makes us feel good. Stop telling me what feels good. Tell me what is true. Even if it's hard, tell me what is true. If you're someone who loves Christmas, anybody love Christmas in this room? How many kids love Christmas? I love Christmas. If you love Christmas, you ought to be willing to re-examine and go back into the story of the resurrection because without the resurrection, guess what? There's no Christmas because nobody cares about Jesus, right? 
And then lastly, if you were looking for a reason to hope in a world of pain and crisis and confusion, let's go back into the resurrection for a few moments. There are four things I'm going to take you through from this text. Number one, we're going to look at the reality of uncertainty. Number two, the foundation of faith. Number three, the invitation to belong, as Lori and Jeff mentioned. And number four, the pathway to meaning. So uncertainty, faith, belonging, and meaning. Under part one, the reality of uncertainty in this story. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And all the conversations you have probably had over the last two years have been filled with a strange uncertainty about the future. Some of you got married during the pandemic. Bless you for that courage. But you didn't know when you were going to have your wedding. You're having a small party, and then you're looking forward to having the big celebration later. Anniversaries have changed. I turned 40. I know I don't look it, but I turned 40 during the pandemic. Right? We changed the celebration style. We didn't have the big parties and the big celebrations. My wife is 11 days older. You should know. I married a beautiful older woman, right? We usually celebrate 40 together, but these are things that have shifted and changed. The Olympics even changed. We didn't get to host the Olympics in the same year. On the screen, it was confusing. What year is this Olympics when we were watching it over the last few months? But it was like 2021 Olympics. I don't know. I was confused, but it's because there's all of this uncertainty where we had had certainty about the future. All of a sudden, it was, it was gone. In the context for John chapter 20, it's pain, it's confusion, it's hurt, it's tears, and it's uncertainty. Jesus has been crucified on Friday afternoon. Yesterday is Saturday. They call it Silent Saturday. Jesus is in the tomb. And now it is Resurrection Sunday, and his followers have not had a chance to interact with the resurrected Jesus yet. They don't know he's going to be resurrected, even though he told them. And so there's weeping, there's mourning. This incredible human being who came into the city on Palm Sunday and everybody called out to him. They serenaded him with beautiful song. They took their jackets off and threw him in the street. They put palm branches down. They said, there's our King Hosanna. Five days later, he's crucified. It's an incredible week in history. Five days later, he is crucified. And now he's been in a borrowed tomb for three days. And now Mary, we come to Mary, one of Jesus's favorite people. Mary is one of the women who goes to the tomb on that original Easter morning. She's there to anoint the body, but she knows that they're not going to be able to roll this huge stone away. And so they're worried and they're wondering what's going to happen. They get to the tomb. They see that the stone's been rolled away. She probably peeks in and goes, there's no body. And so she runs back. She runs to get the disciples. Two of them pay attention to her. They run back with her. They're the two men by the name of Peter and John, some of Jesus' closest friends. John's probably a little bit younger, a little bit quicker and better shaped than Peter. He gets there first. He peeks into the tomb and he goes, I'm not going in there. (laughs) And Peter, because he's a pretty brash disciple, he comes in, pushes the young guy out of the way, steps into the tomb and begins to look around and goes, this makes no sense. The grave clothes are sitting there. If anybody's going to steal the body of Jesus Christ, they are not going to unwrap him. We even got the detail that there were 75 pounds of spices and preservatives put on the body. And the grave clothes are sitting there as if this body materialized right through the grave clothes. The head cloth has been taken off. 
and it's sitting on the side. And it says they don't really understand. You know why they don't understand? Because there's too much uncertainty. They're not looking for her resurrection. And so they go back. But here's Mary. She stays. And she's weeping. Mary was one of the women who followed Jesus throughout his ministry. We're introduced to her in Luke chapter 8. We're told that these women supported Jesus out of their own means, which meant that most likely she was pretty wealthy. She was able to support him along with some other women. But then we also learn that Mary was a, a unique individual who had seven demons inside of her, that she was completely lost. And that Jesus broke into her life and redeemed her and freed her and put her on a totally new trajectory. We even know that Mary Magdalene was at the foot of the cross when all the disciples had scattered. She said, I'm with him all the way to the end. She sits with him even up to his last breath. And here she is alone again, weeping outside the tomb of Jesus. And as she's crying, she stoops to look inside. And this time she encounters an angel, in fact, two of them. And they say to her, why are you weeping? It's this very gentle rebuke because they know something that she doesn't know. Why are you weeping? And she says, because I can't find my Lord. I don't know where the body is. And then as she's speaking to the angels, the text tells us that she turns around and she sees another person and she thinks that he's the gardener. And she speaks to this gardener. And he has a question with her. We'll look at that in a moment. Basically says the exact same thing. Why are you weeping? She's weeping because her worldview, maybe like yours, made no room for a resurrection from the dead. The Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, they didn't have room for a resurrection. The Jews, some of them believed that there was a possibility of a bodily resurrection at the end of history. Nobody believed in the possibility of a resurrection within history. Let me simply say, if you're skeptical about Christianity, these people were not gullible. They were ancient, but they're not naive. They're pre-scientific, pre often superstitious cultures, yes. But we understand from her reaction that they weren't thinking about a resurrection. Oh, a bodily re body resurrects from the dead? Oh, I'm going to believe in this man. No way. In fact, the text tells us the exact opposite. We learn that she thinks the body's been stolen. Somebody took Jesus. There's simply too much uncertainty, too much hurt. Too much loss. And so you see all over this text, pain and tears and waiting and wondering. You don't see faith yet. So the reality of uncertainty. Let me take you to part two, the foundation of faith. If you're new to Christianity, exploring Christianity, maybe you are a Christian as well. Uh, you understand this conversation between faith and reason. Oftentimes, faith is pitted against reason as if it's unreasonable to be a person of faith. Doesn't mean a person who believes in Christianity or in Jesus, but just a person of faith in general. Now, let me simply say, if those two things are pitted against one another, I am going to choose the reasonable camp. I don't want to be in the unreasonable camp. If it's faith versus reason, which means that Christians are people who are not thinking, who are naive, who are kind of pie in the sky, looking for a fairy to come and fix things for us, I don't want to be a part of that. These two things do not have to be pitted against one another. And what you're going to see in this story is that the people are thinking. They are wise. They are calculating. They are listening to the detail. These two things do not have to be divorced from one another. And if you choose to become a Christian, if God woos you into this story, you don't have to say, oh, no, now I have to leave my mind behind. I have to be a person of faith. 
That's not what you find within Christianity. Let me take you just to a couple of the facts, because we don't have a lot. A couple of the facts are this. Number one, we know that Mary Magdalene was Jewish and Jesus was dead. Okay, this is where this story begins. She's Jewish, Jesus is dead. The reason that she's Jewish, this matters because the Jews worshipped a sovereign, omnipotent creator. They would have been the last people on the planet to take a human being and put him at the center of their faith. They're not allowed to worship a man. They're allowed to worship a creator God who made the sun and the moon and the stars, and you have to have a sacrifice to come into his presence. The entire Old Testament system is about a God who's big and transcendent, not a man who's weak and on a cross. The Jewish people would have been the last people on planet Earth to say, that guy over there who got crucified, he's our king. Okay, you need to know that. And then secondly, Jesus is clearly dead. We are given the the fact that Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross, watched a Roman scourging which could kill an average man, and then for Jesus to be crucified. She knows that he is dead. And so, yes, within the story, you have evidence that Mary is devoted, that she's concerned, she's looking for the body of Jesus. Sure, she has some degree of belief, but if you pressed her on that original Easter morning, she would have said, you know what I believe? I believe in a dead Jesus. And she has a lot of evidence in front of her. She has an empty tomb. Peter and John, they saw the grave clothes. They got two angels. She even had a conversation with Jesus himself, and yet Mary still couldn't see. She still didn't have faith. She's hurt. She's tearful. She's frustrated. But without God's intervention in her life, she never would have been able to see Jesus for who he is. Let's look at verse 13. They, this is the angels, said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Here's what the story is telling us. Mary would have remained blind to the truth unless Jesus had intervened in her story and called her name, unless Jesus had come and found her. Here's how Tim Keller puts it. The graciousness of Jesus is palpable. Mary is running around frantically, but as he hints, she's looking for the wrong Jesus, for a dead Jesus, for a Jesus infinitely less great than he really is. So she would never have found him unless he saw her. You see that? She never would have found him. She's not looking for him. She's looking for a dead man. And he comes to her gently, works to open her heart, and then breaks through with a personal address. Her faith comes by grace, and she doesn't earn it. And this means that faith is always personal. This means that if you generically believe that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, but he hasn't died for your sins, then you have not embraced Jesus by faith. 
This is what this is telling us. It's always personal. Listen, I'm not a Christian because I think Jesus is cool or impressive or strong or magical or mysterious. I'm a Christian because he's called my name, right? He's called our name. This is what Christianity is about. It's personal. It's a person. It's his friend. She can't recognize him. And he says, Mary. And at that moment, right, something changed in her life. That turn, what an incredible turn. When she's facing this direction, she turns and she sees what happened in that turn is faith, right, because God was coming for her. The foundation of faith is this personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about believing enough. It's about allowing your heart to be open to your name being called. Thirdly, this invitation to belong. Look at verse 16. I love the end of this text. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is incredibly beautiful right here at the end there. One of the things that the season of of COVID has certainly reinforced is the need for connection, the need for community, and for us to be connected. It wasn't just separation. It felt as if a part of us died. Right, And sometimes we enjoyed it at the beginning. There are certain people you didn't want to see that often. I like that this has changed, but for, for a season... It's okay, but in time, you begin to see a part of me is longing for connection. Separation and isolation are not what I was made for. And that little hint, just a glimpse of that, is an understanding of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about our relationship with a sovereign king and a sovereign God. The Bible tells us that you were made by him and you were made for him. You were made for connection with him. And you can look for all sorts of God substitutes in the best places, but you were made for him. And what crept into the story is Good Friday. That's what Friday was about. What crept into the story is your sin and your decision to put yourself at the center. See, biblically, sin isn't just a set of behaviors. It's a disposition. It's a condition. It's like gravity, as we heard on Friday. You can't get away from it. It's simply who I am. It's a character defect in my soul. And it separates me from this God who made me and who loves me. All of you look right here. We didn't do this intentionally, but for the first time in a long time, we have a center aisle. Let's assume that these are people who are longing to see one another, but the gulf in between is simply too big. You have loved ones on this side and loved ones on that side, but every time you try to jump, you end up falling to the bottom. What are you going to do to close the gap? What the scripture tells us is you can't close the gap. You can't jump far enough. You can't be good enough or kind enough or go to church enough. That's the good news. That's the incredible news of Christianity. You don't have to run and jump. You don't have to be strong because standing in the middle with his hands out, bridging one side to the other is a crucified Savior. And he says, I'll pull you to the other side. What we really need is somebody who's got a foot in both worlds, no? We need somebody who's over there in the divine. I gotta get back to him. I was made for him. He's created me. But over here is the human side. But I'm broken. I'm selfish. I love me more than anything else. Can anything bridge the gap? And and religion says, you bridge the gap. You do enough. 
You be moral enough, you be good enough, you do the right things, you love the right people, you help the old ladies across the street, you do the things that get you points. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. The gap's simply too big. You need somebody who has a foot in both worlds. And this is what we find in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully divine, fully man, pulling these things together in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so that he can say, what does he say at the end? Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, listen to this phrase, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I'm ascending to my God, and now he is your God. See, he bridges the gap. And for the first time, you are welcomed into a family. He goes, I've come for this. I've come to introduce you to the Father again. Your sin separated you, but Jesus stands in between. He's the sin bearer. He bridges the worlds. That is this incredibly beautiful Easter invitation to belong. Let me take you to the last part, a pathway to meaning, a pathway to meaning. Reality of uncertainty, the foundation of faith, the invitation to belong, and a pathway to meaning. What Christianity says is that you are saved apart from anything you have ever done by the man in the middle. He did it. You are saved by him, which means if you are saved by him, there's nothing that you can do to be worthy You can't stand on these laurels that you have. You can't go back into your CV or your education. You have to stand on grace and grace alone. And what this allows you to do is not force your soul into these things that J.K. Rowling, you ready for this? Harry Potter fans in the room, anybody? You don't have to force your soul into these things that she calls a horcrux, okay? All right, this may sound strange. A horcrux. I'm only on book six, but I read ahead, okay? I know what a horcrux is now. Spoiler alert. Now, a horcrux is something that an evil wizard would use to break up his soul so that if a part of him died, he would survive. But what happens is when you put a part of your soul into something that's not your soul, it's a job, it's a relationship, it's money, it's a car, it's possessions, it's a reputation, it's a gift, it's charisma, it's people's opinion of you. If you put your soul into those things, what do you have to do to your soul? You have to nurture that. You got to nurture it. See, and this is why social media has such a tug is because we have put our soul into it. This is why we have to nurture it. This is why we have to check it. This is why we're wondering what people are saying. It's because you put your soul there. I'm looking for meaning for all of these things. It's a, it's a unique horcrux that we create. What is it for you? What is it for you? You put a piece of your soul into this part of the created world where you go, I have to nurture it and stoke it or I don't have meaning. Christianity says into that you can find meaning because somebody who's got his feet in both worlds has laid his life down for you and he wants you to belong. He says, let me introduce you to my Father. And then lastly, what Easter says is there's something that took place that first Easter that cannot even, that death and suffering and pain and evil cannot rob the meaning from that either. Easter means that suffering and death can't rob us of meaning. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death has come through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That word, first fruits, he's just the first one. And when you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, when he calls your name, what's coming for you is Easter Sunday. It's resurrection. It's life forever. And you could say to yourself or to others, I don't really care. You've got the resurrection. I've got something else. You're missing it. This is life. Life now and in the life to come. It can break open and change everything for you because it's history. God made his way onto our planet. You don't have to look for meaning. Guess what? Because meaning is looking for you. Final quote, and we'll pray, from Rebecca Pippert. She says, Jesus visited planet Earth like a meteor from outer space that struck with such an impact that the world has never been the same since. But that was only the beginning. When the worst our world could muster, death, was brought down on him, he rose from the dead. Yes, he blasted it open, brushed it aside, and now the entire universe will never be the same. Where once it was a claustrophobic, death-locked cell, a gaping hole for freedom, has been torn by the resurrection. Those two events, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, have changed everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your love for kids and families and messiness and stories filled with imperfect people coming to a perfect Savior. Thank you for standing in the gap for us. Thank you for the death and the crucifixion. This concept of sin and living for ourselves is new to some and may be old and it's grown dormant. I pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken us, awaken in us a sense that we cannot fix ourselves, nor do we need to put our souls into created things. We can invest deeply and love well but we can maintain an identity apart from those things in Jesus. The God who says, I love you so much that I will lay down my life for you. I will give myself for you and I will be resurrected, coming through death as the first fruit. And then he's gonna call your name. Lord Jesus, are you calling names right now? Not to, not to twist it in any way, but you are personal. Would you open us to the reality that you are a God who still speaks because you're alive? If you were dead, you would have nothing to say, but you're alive and resurrected. And so we pray that you would speak to the men and women in this room, some who know you and some who don't, and call their name and let them see that Christianity is both filled with faith, but also filled with thoughtful people, reason and fact. Help us to sing of you in light of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.